Good morning and uh, welcome to another episode of uh, A Couple With uh, Mental Health. I hope you've got your teas, coffees, it's a little cooler, so you might want to have a hot drink. Um, today I have I have two guests, um, I'd like them to introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Ian Pullen and I am a full-time carer for my partner who is also here with me. My name is Hayley Plant and um, I suffer with borderline personality disorder, Asperger's and autism and um, generalised anxiety disorder. So would you like to start with your story Hayley? Um, <laughs> it's a bit nerve-wracking isn't it? Um, I don't know, I don't know how to say it or what to say but I um, started this year, or end of last year, I was finally, after 10 years of mental health issues, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and um, practically took that long and even though since I was about 13 years old I've had countless suicide attempts, this time they actually did something about it after my fifth suicide attempt in the row. So I found so I'm still at the stage of getting used to that. So you know, <laughs> Paul, well, glad you're still here. Yeah, like I've been on a lot of medications. There's been a lot of hospital trips, and for ten years they said that I had a bipolar disorder, but then they've um, turned around and says it doesn't seem like it's that. It seems like it's actually BPD. Which I got confused with, but apparently the symptoms are so similar. It's really hard. It's really hard to, you know, get the diagnostic. I, w- but I was gonna say to you. I mean, they are they are very similar, but how did they determine the difference? <laughs> People are gonna think I sound crazy, but it was the way I explained it. It's kind of like I have different. The my own voices, but it's kind of like different types of voices in my head, and it's like when I have certain different emotions it's kind of like different it's still me but it comes across like a different part of me like a different personality of me yeah and that's what it's like and instead of like in a long stream of things like you can gradually get to like one day you're happy next week is rock bottom mine can be on one day in one hour I could have a hyper happy moment that within seconds just like that I am rock bottom severely depressed and suicidal and thinking about self-harming and stuff like that within seconds and nothing triggers it and that can just happen everything that happens every single day in my head out of nowhere must be draining it is and that's why I'm constantly tired and fatigued and Mm. it is it's the best way I explain it when I'm with Ian because he's my carer is that my head feels fuzzy. Yeah. All the time it's fuzzy and I don't understand what's happening and quite a lot of time, 24-7, I feel lost because I've tried going to a group to understand it but it says half of you have been diagnosed and the other half think you have it and I was just like, you know what, I can't do this. Yeah. I'd, and I was like, I explained to them that I can't do group therapy because yeah. I'm not very good around when it comes to empathy around people I don't know and yeah. I can't help that I'm trying to change that now Yeah, and they told me it weren't like a group therapy thing and it were and I was like I just I can't do it mm. just can't do it 
It like, works for some, it doesn't for others. Yeah, like, I can't sit in with a group of people and talk up about my issues or like that, because in my head, I'll just get told I'm attention-seeking, I'm being pathetic and all stuff like that. Mm. Like, this is, that's why I'm being, I was freaking out about this and, oh, no, because if I can't do it in a therapy base, I'm like, how am I, how am I, how is this happening now type of thing? Yeah. So, well, yeah. Thank you for doing this I do appreciate it yeah so that's a bit of a, a story really but you know <laughs> I don't know what else to say <laughs> it's okay so you say that you feel fuzzy constantly do you ever have any breaks from that it it depends like like I said I do have some breaks from that but like I said it can just change so quick it's hard to find out what the triggers are when it comes to why you like this. Because every time I have a moment of happiness, I am my own worst enemy and I beat it down and make myself feel like that I don't deserve that and I put myself down to the point where I am so low again. And if I do have a break from it, I start questioning it. Because mm. I don't understand it. I just personally never, ever felt like I deserve that happiness and that break. Mm. Like, people have always said that I'm a sucker for punishment. And I, when people think of borderline personality disorder, they think that the manipulative, the abusers, they're horrible, and like they're not empathetic, even though a lot of us are. But it's mostly towards people that we care about and that we love in our circle. Yeah. yeah. Like when we feel love, we feel it like ten times more than what someone who doesn't have mental health would feel it. Mm. When we feel sadness, it's more like depression, like crippling depression. Yeah. All your emotions is heightened and. Yeah, it's just, it, it's difficult because I don't take, like, obviously everyone has that time where they'll snap at someone and take it out and yeah. have an argument, but I more, like, abuse myself and I'm more abusive and I bully myself Yeah. because the last thing I ever want is someone else to feel like the way I want to feel like. It's quite a common theme when it comes to mental health. Yeah, but people just, like, when you search borderline personality online... The stigma is so horrible because people turn around and says like um, before like I remember reading an article and it says like please qu think about it and question yourself if you can handle it before you date someone with BPD and this person will wow. yeah because they had one bad time with their partner and obviously I'm not saying everyone is good but like no matter what mental health you suffer with you've got. The good people, you've got the bad people, it evens out. Uh, that's the same within everything. That's the same within everything, but I was like, I was sat there, I was like, but not all of us are monsters. Yeah. It does. It When it comes to, and it's, it is down to, I, I fully believe it's down to misunderstanding. It is, and the stigma's so horrible that that's why I want to, like, re like make people realise, like, since I've been diagnosed with this, I've never spoke up about it, because when it came to my bipolar... It's like it did when before I got diagnosed with this because I was misdiagnosed with that. Every time you try speaking up, and like not just me, but there's everyone that suffers from mental health has always been shut down, yeah, or they've been made to feel like attention seeking, or you get told just to get over it. Mm -hmm. And this time, because of the media and the way people say it online, and the way people are with self diagnostic these days because they go on the internet and think that, oh, I have this, yeah. You can't talk about it because people think that's the same thing about you. And yeah. this is the first time I've actually spoke up 
to something like this other than just my friends and family. Like, I, my mum's my, my never heard about it. Mm. So when she, I first told her, she was like, what, is it like schizophrenia? And I was like, no, it's nothing like that. It's it's different completely. And I was like, on the phone to when I got diagnosed, I went, I'd, I, I said to her, I remember being like, it's really hard to explain it because I'm still in the stages of getting to know what it's like and I don't understand it properly yeah. myself. And you can put me through courses and stuff like that, but with my learning difficulties and my autism and stuff like that, I struggle. Like, I learn by doing things yeah. and stuff like that. And if you give me a piece of paper to read and it's a black and, like, white with black print, I struggle with that. Yeah. I can't physically read it. Like, somewhere I do ha- I can't find it, but I do have an overlay sheet that I've had since college. Yeah. But... That's what I mean. I can't understand stuff like that, but so you you kind of get hit twice by it. Yeah. <laughs> so you have it, and then the information that you need to understand it is hard for you to understand at the same time. Yeah, and like when you do try and look up, look it up yourself, the stigma is so horrible. It just makes you feel shit about yourself. Like a friend of mine shared a post, and it said like, "Do people with borderline personality disorder like have empathy?" And I remember one person just basically said that we're basically all nut jobs yeah. just after one bad experience. And I was like, that's not the case. And I actually turned around and said, like, wow, it's 2018 and still people are like this. Well, they're saying you meet one bad person on the street that every stranger you come across is going to be bad. Yeah, and it, it, it's like that. the whole issue when people's, the people have turned around and had one bad relationship or issue with a bloke or a woman and all of a sudden like men and women are all the same. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, we're not all the same. We're not all nut jobs. So you say this has been for 10 years. Um, well, I say 10 years. It still feels like 10 years. It's since about, I'm 25 now, so it's since I'm about 13 years old. I've been dealing with mental health and suicide problems and when, stuff. When did you realise that there was something different? Because uh, people generally... You know when you don't, you feel maybe don't feel like you fit in, or I've always felt like that since I was a kid. Like I've always been, I've always been passionately the one to stand out from everyone else. And as a kid, I, I, I didn't really fit in as a kid. And like when I say kid, little kid, but yeah. I think I was about thirteen. I wasn't really in a good relationship, but at thirteen, why am I in a relationship? Mm-hmm. And some, I just remember my my brother were having some horrible issues with his ex as well and she was she was not a nice person at all yeah. and the next i don't know i after everything i went through as a kid up until 13 then the relationship i was in it wasn't a good one like i've been through sexual abuse and everything mm. like and i would just sat there and I remember I saw a pencil sharpener on my computer and I undid it and I sliced my wrists mm. at 13 and my brother walked in to check up on me because usually me and Luke usually knock on the door and I'll sit and chill with him while he plays yeah. video games and stuff and my wrists were just bleeding and he went to get mum and I remember at that point because obviously we got me all patched up and she got me emergency appointment with doctors and mm. Even though it was my first time doing it, I remember doctors were trying to section me. And my mum were like, no, she's a child. Mm. She needs help, not being put into, you know... Because they were awkward at that point when they were up, and he wanted to send me to Oakwood, and my mum were like, no, I'm not having it. How did you feel about it? 
I felt confused and I felt like I was going crazy because I was like, it's the only thing, like, when I self-harm, it's not to, like, end my life or like that, it's to feel something else other than what I'm feeling. Yeah. A rele- release. Yeah, it, it, and that was my first release and... I don't know, like, self-harming can get addictive, and I was like, it, it felt great at the time, but after, when it with, when it hurt, and, and then I saw the marks and stuff like that, it didn't feel so great. Yeah. It, it's kind of like when you drink to forget your emotions, it's only for a limited time, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, about, I've been dealing with, like, dealing with this since I was about 13. So, as you've gone on, because there's a lot of... that. 10 years is a very massive space between what's been your main block as you've come al- as you've gone through the journey that you've gone through because there's usually what there's a certain block that triggers or if you understand what I mean yeah I don't know it's like since I were a kid like my emotions can just switch from anywhere to anything out of nowhere within a space of an hour and I've, I don't know what the block is or what it is. It's just, I think it's simplest thing. Like, what I, if what I've been through as a kid or, like, a teenager, simplest thing I see happen, easy enough on TV or on streets and something like that, boom, flashback will happen and it all comes back to me. Mm. But I think it's my self-worth that's my block because when people... People don't get it when they turn around and says like, you can't, like... You can't hate yourself that much. People don't get like the. Th- I I'm not a hateful person, but the one thing I do hate most in the world is myself, mm. and I don't think I'm worth anything. And people like my mum only knows about one suicide attempt at the end of last year when I had about five, and I was on sertraline. I was on diazepam at the same time. Mm. Like I went to my brother's house. Um, and I basically bought a bottle of vodka and the last time and I basically had a bottle of vodka with him I was necking it, I got so drunk I nicked his girlfriend's or fiance's razor and basically went for my legs and my wrists mm. and like I said it's just my self worth and it's just because even I have a moment of happiness I have to destroy it for myself because I don't feel like I deserve it because every time I've had something good in my life, it's kind of gone or it's what, been taken what's away. What's the first line you say to yourself as soon as something good happens? You don't deserve this. What's happening? How do you... So as soon as you've got that thought, do you try and fight it or is it just kind of it just... You're gone? I'm gone. I've, I've tried to fight it before, like... It was getting easier, but with recent events, it's a bit harder because these past two days within, what, the start of this month, I've been sober because... But it's hard because I always say, like, the nasty voices in my head are a lot stronger than the positive ones. Negative is generally a lot stronger. Yeah. It takes much more energy to be positive than it does to be negative. Yeah, and right now I don't have energy for anything, like, my body aches and... I can barely go to the gym and I'm impulse buying on alcohol so like I've made myself poor because I've been like we've gone for like three litres of whiskey in a week together and but it's part of depression isn't it mm. like 
this is my second day sober. I need to ring, but yesterday I was just laid laid there because I feel and I was crying and I was like I feel lost. And I even said to Ian, I need professional help, but every time you try and get professional help, there's a long ass waiting list, or yeah. as soon as they diagnose you, that's it, they're done with you. And what are you supposed to do when you feel lost and like you don't know how to help yourself anymore? Yeah. I just, I don't know what to do anymore. And I just kept saying to him yesterday, like, I'm lost, I need help. Yeah, um, that's quite a common thing with people with mental health issues is the feeling of loss because if you can't work your way around your own head and you've got to get somebody out there to give you an hand and pull you through and I'm sure Ian does his, his very best to help he's been amazing but, like I, I've been saying he's pretty much probably the reason why I'm still here because well thank say, you to Ian yeah he's quit his he, two years ago we were together what for about five or six months and he quit his job. I didn't ask him to, and he became a full-time carer. And one thing I don't—it's like one thing that I noticed, like either today or within now or next few days—is a year since Chester Bennington passed mm. away, isn't it? Yeah. And there's that picture in that video where it's just hours before he ended his life, mm. and you see the happiness in his face, and it's like just because people see me and Ian happy, or just because I can. I don't know, catch a train by myself once in a blue moon or go and meet a friend on my own Not doesn't mean that I've recovered. Not only that, but why can't you have moments of happiness? Because I think what it is, it's like as soon as you have moments of happiness, in my head it's like everyone thinks all of a sudden you recovered even though you're still like dying inside. And I, <clears throat> I don't know. It's not everyone else that does it, it's myself that stops me from being happy. And I still can't figure it out. I think there's a lot of pressure on to be happy as well. Yeah. I think it's... It's, it's like there's a lot of pressure of going back to work and when you physically can't because you're not well and the moment somebody sees you happy and you're doing well, all of a sudden they think, oh, she's over it now, she's fine, and it's like, no. And it's same with Ian, and it's like, Ian's like, no, I'm... Ian's the only person that sees me behind closed doors and he's the only one that knows when we're at home. He's He can tell that I'm not ready to go back to work because yeah. I am not well enough. I'm not being funny, but can you imagine me serving a customer while having a blackout or a fit? Yeah, it's, it's not going to work very well, is it? No, it isn't. <clears throat> like, I can't hold a job down because normally when it gets around to Christmas time, I get severely depressed and I have to go on sickly for about one or two months and I try and the next what, I get to point. What is it about Christmas time that sends you? <clears throat> I've no, I don't know. I need to go to doctors and find out about it because... There's been mention of um, you potentially suffering with seasonal depression as well. Well, but I don't really want to say that because yeah. I, I refuse to say I've got something until I've been diagnosed. <clears throat> like, I'd rather go to a healthcare professional, but... I don't know why, it just seems like between November and February are the darkest times of the month for me. I have, um, I have this is quite a common one actually, and I, I, I tend to find that people do go straight away for seasonal. Yeah. yeah. And I have my own theory, and that is, that is the time where you are pushed to be the happiest. And it's not the case. Because come on, it's Christmas. Exactly, it's pushed from basically as soon as Halloween's finished till January when you're trying to get rid of all the pr 
probably gifts that you never wanted in the first place. And it is pushed and pushed that you are supposed to be happy, supposed to be happy. And I've known so many people with mental health problems, including myself, that struggle around that time because there's picture perfect happiness and then there's true happiness and there's never shown on true happiness. It's always the nostalgia looking back as well compared to what Christmas used to be like about like with your family. Mm. And you sit there and miss that because when you're older it's like that doesn't happen anymore. Mm, you see it with innocent eyes when you're younger. Yeah, so what we've started doing is uh, past two years, instead of going to spend Christmas with our families, like with my mum in Wakefield or his parents, we've decided we're going to make our own family Christmas with the cats and me and Ian. So what I do is I get some gravy, I get some chicken for cats, then I make me and Ian like a homemade veggie yeah. Christmas dinner. And we do that and it, it is good, but it's just like, for, I think normally as well, I like I've done now recently since passing our friend, that's the time of year I go into heavy drinking as well. Like between... I think the entire nation. Yeah, goes well, into it was it was Christmas Eve last year to the start of February. Yeah. This year, I was drinking every single day, and I did not have a sober day. Mm. And I was, I went like literally. I do used to do burlesque dancing with the Velvet Burlesque. Lovely girls. They are someone that can pick you up and make you feel great after it. Yeah. But with the anxiety side as well, I can I, I get agoraphobia. I can't leave the house. Yeah. And but we being all the way in Chapel Town and having to walk to the bus stop, then walk to Burns, uh, the the community centre, it's yeah. too difficult, especially Chapel Town at night and mm. stuff like that. And at, it, between November to February, I wasn't going back. I wasn't going to class. I've not been back to class for about another month again because I'm mm. just like I, I can't do it. It's something I love so much, but I just but that's fine. Crippled. I can't get round to doing it. Right, but that's that's fine. If you can't do something, you don't have to push yourself to do it. I know. It's same with my modelling as well. I've not done that for a while as well because I just... I can't physically do it. I just... After I got... We got stranded in Cheltenham and mm. that's where this, like... It was two days after my first suicide attempt mm. last year, uh, end of last year. And I decided to throw myself in the deep end and go all the way to Cheltenham for a photo shoot. Okay. And that was a big mistake because um, we accidentally missed our train back home, so we didn't get back home until about two a.m. or all like that. Mm. And I just I remember I got a coat can, I went to the toilet, and I just literally hurt myself, and I just had a full on mental breakdown, like I nearly passed out in the photo shoot and everything. Mm. And since then, it seems like traumatic events with me stops me from doing what I want to do because this anxiety just takes over me and mm. it cripples me and every time I do a photo shoot now I dread it mm. and I want to get out of that but and it's the same with dance class as well I want to get out of that but I don't know how to because every time I go to doctors it's like Basically, I get told, well, you're on these antidepressants now. We're sure that anti-anxieties don't work with you, so you're going to have to learn to control your anxiety. Do they give you the techniques? Well, no. Last time we went to doctors, it was a doctor that never met me before because it weren't my usual doctor. And she turned around and went, oh, you don't look like you got borderline personality disorder. You just look like you got depression and anxiety. Oh, we're going on looks now. Well, it did phase me because my whole life I've been told that I don't look like I have autism. Uh, oh, she don't look autistic, so it didn't phase me, but obviously this one had a go at her. 
Ian yeah. because it's not something you should hear. And I know it's not right. It's not but professional at all. No, but to me it's normal being told I look like I don't have something, even though I do, because I've had my whole life being told that by people that don't understand autism. Well, my, my son's autistic and I hear that quite a lot. Yeah. Um, he's gone to high functioning, but he now will need to go into a special needs, yeah. uh, well, an autistic secondary school. Yeah. But it's generally followed by, well, he's done mainstream. Yeah. For, for so many years. And yeah. like, yeah, but do you understand why? And I think that's the whole point is just because something doesn't look it doesn't mean to say it isn't going on. And have you took the time to understand what is going on behind the wall? Yeah. Behind the front that you see? Because... What is outside is never what is inside. No, no, it isn't. But yeah. So how, how are you? For one, how are you feeling now? Because I know this was big for you to be able to do, and I really do appreciate. So how are you feeling now? I still feel lost. I don't know. I just I feel lost. I feel empty. I feel numb. I mean, as well as this, Haley and Ian have gone through quite a, a traumatic thing of losing somebody very close to them. Um, and if they're comfortable talking about that, that, that would be another a subject we could get onto as well. Yeah, are you wanting to tell your story first? or Yeah, you can go for that if you want to do that. Tell your story and then we'll go into it. it links on as well. So. Yeah, we'll link on. Um, well, growing up, I've grown around. I've grown up around um, people with um, um, issues. Yeah. Um, be it physical or mental mm. and emotional. Mm. Um, both my parents uh, from growing up are both disabled. Yeah. So I've grown up with the physical aspect of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad is also diagnosed with depression and bipolar. Okay. Which. It does, especially as a kid, it makes it hard. Like, me and my dad never really had the closest relationship. Because I could never really predict what kind of mood or how he would react to certain situations. Especially as a kid where you don't really understand emotions yourself. Um, So I've grown up around that. So I've grown up accepting that I know people are different from what they actually look. So that's something I am very thankful for. Yeah. Um, before I met Haley, I was in a relationship which went south very fast. Okay. Um, she was, herself, did have issues. Yeah. But never sought to find help. Yeah. And I tried to get her to find help, mm. but sometimes some people, as harsh as and as horrible as it sounds, some people almost feel impossible to help unless they themselves because I can only suggest I can't make them you can't convert I think that's that's the main thing I've had to learn just lately you can't convert and it got to the point where she would um, this person I was with uh, would get angry over the smallest things anything that that wouldn't even norm like seen as normal would not get angry over like the tiniest of things yeah and I remember we were our cooking dinner mm. and I had some pasta on the boil mm. and um, I remember she said she wanted to watch a show with me mm. on Netflix and I said well 
it's a show I've tried to watch before, I'm not really into it. And mm. because I said I don't want to watch it with her, you can watch it anytime you want, but it's not with me because I don't like it. Yeah. It made her just trigger. get into this, yeah, trigger, into this angry rage where she ran in to get the boiling water and she went to throw it over me. Wow. Which obviously was extreme and I had my back against the wall at the time. And the only thing I could do was, okay, I've just got to defend for myself now. And all I could do was literally kick forward. Yeah. I had to kick her mm. to save myself because mm. that could have scarred me for life. If not, it could have been worse. Yeah. And obviously it bruised her. Yeah. And obviously after it happened, I went, look, I'm so sorry, but I had no choice. Yeah. Um, and that's when she started to spin around and say that I was an abusive person. Right. Which... You never once laid the finger on me. That obviously hurt me a that lot. That would have been the same reaction I would have had, so... And that's... That's another reason that maybe go, I can't do this with you anymore. That's, I know you can't... I know there are times where you can't help your mental state, but I can't help you unless you really do want to help yourself. Yeah. So then I end up moving on. And that's when I met Haley. Yeah. When I met Haley, without sounding harsh, she was broken. Mm-hmm. Drinking for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Like, the first time I ever stayed at hers and she got up and made breakfast... She made me a rum and coke. It's 7am. It's 7am. Before she went to work. Fair enough. She was broken. And she was worried that because of the state I met her in, Mm. she was worried that that was going to be my opinion of her for the rest of the time. And the first thing I remember saying to her after we started getting closer is, look, everything that happened before I met you to me doesn't exist. Yeah. Your history starts with me since I start, since I met you. And you're now in my life. This is where you started. Mm. Not b- Back then, we can deal with issues. But it, I don't care what you did in your past. What happened in your past has got nothing to do with me. That takes a lot of empathy and compassion to be able to do that as well. And I think that's what made her happy at the start. And I also remember one of the first things, one of the, the first ever promise I ever made to her is a promise I still remind her of this day. Which I think is a promise everyone should make mm. to everyone, friend, um, partner, mm. family, anyone. Mm. Is you can't promise to fix their problems, but you can promise you're going to be there to help them. Yep, I, I do the same. I, I and that's the, the first promise I ever made to her. And it stuck. Because um, I don't want anyone to ever make a promise that they can't keep. Because yeah. don't, don't make a promise that you can't keep. Because that in itself is not a promise. A broken promise is just as good as a lie. There's, There's no, no point in making There's no trust once it's gone. So only make a promise you know you can keep. Yeah. And that's what I did for her. And she's done the same for me. Mm. And um, as she said, yeah. I um, before I left my job, I worked at um, for Samsung Yeah. on the repair line. So they called up. People called up and said, look, my phone's broken. It's doing so-and-so. It's not, you know, working or yeah. something's gone wrong or I don't understand this. Can you help me? Mm. I'd call up, I'd yeah, try and help them, if not, I'd yeah. send it off. During this time, that's when Haley really started to go downhill. Yeah. And it was hard for me to... When they say, don't bring your personal life into work, nine times out of ten, that's impossible. It I'm sorry. really is, yeah, I agree. But any workplace that says that is not worth your time. Because they're basically saying you, telling you, oh yeah, you need to completely separate yourself from all emotion while you're at work. I'm sorry, but that's impossible. Mm. And me knowing that one time I came home and I found cuts on her, I'm like, I don't know if I want to go to work. Not in the sense that I don't like my work, but in the sense of I want to keep her safe. Yeah. So we came to the agreement together that I'm going to go in and I am going to immediately hand in my immediate resignation, Mm. which my boss at the time 
was possibly the most understanding man I have ever met. Mm. He completely understood where I was coming from. Mm. I don't know if that's because he just wanted to show empathy for people he worked with, which is signs of a good boss, or if he himself has been through similar situations yeah. and has witnessed situations. Obviously, he was my boss, so I didn't want to get personal with it, so I didn't ask him. Yeah. But I completely respected him for him saying, yes, that's fine, I completely understand, you can go. Yeah. And it's at that point when um, I said, when we went to go and sign up to get me to become her personal and full-time carer. And how long have you been together? When, uh, we have, uh, when we were together about five or six months. Only about five or six job. months, which a lot of people thought was really quick. I, I was going to say, I, I wasn't... A, I think I remembered you saying earlier it was about that time, but I just wanted to... to, to well, to... since the day, like, we've been really close since the day we met, aren't we? Really? We have, in fact, we, uh, we met through Nat, who you yeah. manage his band, yeah. and he's one of my best friends. Uh, he actually introduced us, oh. and that's how we met. But it's like we clicked the moment we met, but I've been saying one thing since I met him, there's something about him, and it doesn't scare me. No, I, I, obviously, listeners, you can't hear this. I mean, can't see this. But the whole time Ian's been talking, Haley's been looking at him with the most loving and compassionate eyes I've ever seen. So you can tell it's it's so used to what obviously meant to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I'm gonna play devil's advocate here, and a lot of people from an outsider would say, well, that's a very short space of time to basically give up your own life to be. To, to take care of somebody so else. So this was two years ago. Though, yeah. So, yeah. And, and there might be somebody out there that's thinking on the same decision. What made you realise that, you know what, I, this, is, this is okay, this is all right, because I, I know there's If anything, there. I think it actually goes back to my mum. Because mm. although my mum, obviously, like I said, both parents are both disabled, my mum has always been my dad's carer. Yeah. My dad has worked a lot in his life. Mm. He's worked too many jobs to even count because yeah. he worked with an agency. So he was getting tossed from one job to another yeah. for years while I was younger. He's had every job. He used to drive from. He used to be gone for a couple of days driving like um, uh, lorries, loading off over at one place, collecting, going to another place, and he'd be a chef one minute as well. It yeah. was conf- It was. He had a very confusing uh, job life. Okay. And. Um, what I noticed is, my dad, he, like I said before, even from a child, even now, he's a very hard guy to read. He's a hard yeah. guy to understand. You don't know what his emotions are going mm. through his head. And I think what made me realise I want to do this mm. actually came from my mum. Because I've grown up watching my mum be this strong figure that has defended for my dad, looked after my dad, done every, Not, like, slaved for him. Yeah. They've both done each other, done as much for each other. Yeah. But because obviously my dad was away quite a lot um, and working a lot when I was younger, mm. and me and him, like I said, mm. uh, didn't exactly have the closest relationship, yeah. I grew closer with my mum. Yeah. And I saw her dealing with all this. Mm. And me seeing Haley like this, I kind of feel like I can help this person. I have seen this numerous times. Mm. And at the time, I might it might have sounded full of myself thinking, oh, I can help this person. But it was a risk I wanted to take because I knew for some reason there was just a connection I had with Haley when I met her. Well, I th- think, like, I'm, I'm going to pull this out here. And the first thing you said about your mum and your dad was how they, although your mum 
fought for his corner, yeah. he still had a lot of give and take. Yeah. And that was that obviously part of it was that was quite an important part. Yeah. And from what I've seen with Haley, she's very much tried to fight her own corner as well as knowing that she needs the extra help. And you were saying about your last relationship, it was very much you feeling like maybe you were trying to convert her when she wasn't ready to change yeah. or help herself or help get to a point where she was being able to go, yes, I need this. Yeah. Whereas Haley seems like, you know what, I have been struggling, but I have been managing to some degree on my own. I just need that extra help. Yeah. And I think you can very much see you wouldn't you wouldn't i don't think you would have took that because most people would see that as a risk yeah i i personally just saw it as love and compassion for somebody else but you took that on because you obviously saw that Haley was trying to do something for herself as well with what i found with people they're in the similar situation as Haley, myself uh, my mom my dad others that are even paul who obviously we'll get on to in a yeah. bit um they don't directly ask for help. Mm. Like I nine agree. times out of ten, directly they never ask for help. You can, by just understanding someone and understanding what they suffer with, you can see signs of them asking for help without them physically saying, I need help. Yeah. And I could tell, I could just see it in Haley that mm. she needed help. And I could see that she had people around her supporting her, mm. but she needed someone there. Like, to be there with her. Not, like, in a babysitting sense. Listen. I mean, like, to li- sit, listen, yeah, watch. Even though he's my full-time carer, I still am there for him, and I do everything yeah. for him, and I'm in his corner as well, so... Yeah. It's kind of that strength we keep together, like, yeah, I know he's my carer, but it's not like I don't want people thinking that he does everything. Yeah. Like, he, he has to technically do everything for me when it comes to, like, cooking and cleaning and stuff like that when I'm on my worst days, but, I mean... I don't want people thinking that basically that he's the one doing all the work. No, he's he's your support system. He's my support system. I'm his support system. And I'm basically one of those, like, anyone says anything bad about him, that's it. I'm straight straight at it because I'm like, no, I've had enough of it. Like, Ian's had so many people lie about him and say nasty things about him that I've just got to the stage now where I'm like, now you're with me, enough is enough. Mm. And I says, I'm not putting up with you anymore. I'm in your corner now. No matter what happens to you, I have got your back. She had my back immediately. Not long after I decided to leave my job to become a full-time carer, yeah. that's when I started myself going into like a deep kind of depression. Mm-hmm. And it got hard because that's when my mum... Obviously, I don't think she said it in a way to be painful mm. towards me, but... It did hurt, but I don't think she realised it. Yeah. And I don't think she did it on purpose. Okay. But I remember there was a there was a long time before I even went to go to the doctors to talk about it. I was very snappy. Mm. I wasn't the happiest. I've always been like this joyful, bouncy, full of energy kind of yeah. person. And there was just this longest time where I was like the opposite. And my mum turned around and went, what happened to you? You used to be so happy and so joyful and now you're just miserable all the time. And that hurt. And I thought, this is someone who I've looked up to for a long time. Yeah. And that I thought, I've done what she has done. Yeah. I'm doing what she does. Yeah. And for her to turn around and say that, I, like I said, I don't think she realised at the time. Mm. Um, but... No, it's not going to work, is it? It's alright if you, if you want to put the fan on. Okay. Um, it hurt. 
and Haley, and I told Haley and went, look, you need to talk to her about that. And I went, what I want to do before I talk to her about that is I, I want to go to the doctors. Yeah. So I went to the doctor, who is the same doctor as you, who helped me. Oh yeah, it was the same doctor when we lived in Cooks as it well, was, wasn't it? was, and um, that's, and I was apparently showing symptoms mm. of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously depression can link in very closely with anxiety and they can just feed off each other. Oh god, yeah. And it's a vicious cycle, it feels like it never ends. Mm-hmm. And um, originally I was put on... Um, Citalopram. Citalopram, which worked for a bit. Okay. And then that went south. It made me feel worse, which I know is a really big side effect because my dad's been on it before as okay. well, and Haley's been on it, and that is what I sent Haley over the edge close enough five times trying to. No, that was certainly. Oh, certainly um, Sorry. It was the January before a couple of months before I met Ian, twenty sixteen. I was on Citalopran, and I remember I was finishing work, and I was on the phone to my ex saying I can't do it anymore, and I was basically about to jump off of the bridge and mm. tried to kill myself. It was like my first suicide attempt in like two or three years. Yeah. yeah. In years because before that I was in like in I wasn't in an eight year relationship but like I I only self harmed and never tried any like suicide attempts or like that. When I did I was a teenager and yet again I tried jumping off a, the a Pontsford Bridge a couple of times mm. and there was just some of that always stopped me from doing that and but the Taliban sent me over the edge just obviously like it did it, it didn't do well to him as well i'm just gonna put this out there to listeners if you are on any medication we're not saying that you shouldn't or should take certain stuff there is side effects all and if you are concerned about the side effects please talk to your doctor about to say medication affects everyone differently yeah um, me, in fact, me and Haley are both at the moment on uh, fluoroxetine. Uh, she's on a higher dosage than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on twenty, and she's on forty. And so far, so good. Obviously, I can't turn around and say it's brilliant. It's working perfectly because obviously it can change over time. But yeah. I know, pe- but we know people that where it's not really working properly. Yeah. So yeah, I've known it's people to not different to everyone. It's like when we were on sertraline. Sertraline. I'm not saying sertraline has never worked. But me personally, I've never seen it. Mm. I'm not saying it doesn't, obviously, because yeah. otherwise it wouldn't be out there otherwise. But it sent her on the possibly one of the biggest downward spirals she's ever yeah. been in. It sent me on a spiral. In fact, my dad, if I remember reading the, the, you get like a little sheet in yeah. boxes, don't you, to tell you what the potential side effects are. Yeah. And it said like something like one in every 10,000 or something like that suffer with hallucinations. And my dad. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, it was one of those. Oh, okay. So he had to come off of that. Yeah. Uh, my mum, I don't know if she's had that, but I know you've had that. Um, well, Sertraline was the one that put me in the darkest time of my life at the start of this year, so... I remember um, she was in the shower, and it got to the part where we used to not lock the door to get into the bathroom mm. to keep an eye... Without sounding harsh, like, babysitting-wise, I had to keep an eye on her. That's fine. And uh, I remember it was she was in there longer than she normally is, and I'm like, mm. okay, something's wrong here. So I went in there and I opened the curtain to go and see what she was doing, and she was covered from like neck down, her entire body, mm. all of her front, stomach, breast, shoulders, arms, hands, legs, everything covered in scratches. She had got an um, a safety pin. Okay. And she went through the stage of hiding them from me. 
Okay. Not on... I, d I don't want people thinking she did it on purpose just to try and hurt herself. I feel like... Sometimes I feel like she had them there not to herself, but to make herself feel comfortable in the sense that she yeah. could always make herself feel something again if she needed, and that yeah. was there. Obviously, it frightened me to the point where I actually had to mm. get all the safety pins, uh, the Stanley knife and the toolbox, uh, sharp knives and everything. I actually had to hide them. That's fair enough. And I wouldn't tell her where they were. Mm. And that frightened me. Yeah. Because... After she started to calm down again, after she got changed into a new medication, mm. and she started to become more of a happier self. Not ha saying happy as in she was happy, yeah. but happier than where she was. Yeah. Um, I still struggled in telling her where these sharp objects were. Yeah. And I think that actually hurt her a little bit, showing that there was a, a fear in me where I wouldn't call it I couldn't trust her. I'd call it more of a fear... Obviously, she kept saying it felt like I couldn't trust her, and I can understand that, yeah. because I don't think it was I couldn't trust her. Doubt. I couldn't trust myself, given her, because yeah. if she hurt herself, then then I'd feel like it's my fault. Oh, yeah. It's gone from that to the stage now with the full oxytine, like, if I have thoughts or temptations, or if I don't feel safe around sharp objects, I ask Ian to come with me into the kitchen while I make something, or do pots. Instead of just staying quiet about it, because... So she is taking steps. That's quite a lot of self-awareness. Because to be able to recognise that and then go, can you just give me an andia? That takes quite a lot of strength in itself. Because to, it would be easy to just let yourself slip. It's just, hard to I ask for help. I think because how hard it were and how horrible it was that it got to the stage where Ian got like that. Emotionally, it did destroy me because I just like it shouldn't have ever gotten like that, and it did. It destroyed me because I was like, I want him to, like I want him to trust me. I want him to know that I'm not gonna do what Brandy's bad because that's not how our relationship works. If something happens, we go to each other first time round, yeah. and if we need to ask someone something, we go to each other first instead of doing it behind our back. We yeah. never do anything behind each other's back. Yeah, and. I don't know, it just kind of destroyed my confidence quite a lot in myself when that happened. And I've had temptations recently, but after what happened like to our friend Paul, I'm like, he. all I sit there and remind myself is he would not want me to do that. I am not going to do that, I'm going to fight through it. Paul... Because he helped me quite a lot yeah, start of this year. possibly was one of the major helps we both had. Okay. Like, we had, we had my sister, my brother, like, Helen and John and people yeah, like and that. Yeah, like I mentioned yeah. before, Nat, he's and been nah, a he's, huge he's help. I've got, my, I've got a friend who we play online yeah. with. My best friend, Alice, she's been a huge help star this but year. Everyone, most of our friends have been super helpful. Because mm. th we've found that we've surrounded ourselves now with people that are willing to understand, yeah. willing to learn. And Paul like, was I, one of them. Paul was one of them. Paul possibly was one of the most understanding. Yeah. Not saying others didn't, but there was something about him. I feel like he... Because he himself had been living this. Yeah. Like everyone, others, but... Everyone else has said that about Paul, though. Like, he, there was something about Paul that you just could not hate. Yeah. You, the moment you spoke to him, you fell in love with the man immediately. He mm. was the nicest soul you could have ever met. Mm. If he didn't like you, he told you, but you weren't mean about <laughs> it. He was very honest and upfront yeah. about everything, but... He, he was always right. 
And yeah, even when he was wrong, (laughs) even when he was wrong, he was always right. He had this cheeky grin on him all the time, um, but inside he was being eaten alive. He had very warm hugs. He had very warm hugs. He did. And he, no matter what was going on in his life, he'd put everyone else first, which possibly is one of the things that killed him. Yeah. Because he didn't ever put himself first. Um, if you'd like to just explain what happened to Paul. Paul, Paul was a very, very good friend of ours. Okay. Very close friend. Possibly one of our best friends. And we were sat here in our front room gaming one night mm-hmm. with our friends online. I just came home after three pictures of sangria with my best friend. She just had a day out with her best friend, Alice, who also <laughs> works at Dove, who was also very, very, very she close to Paul as well. Yeah. She, she was, was like, like one of his girls. She was one of his best friends. Yeah, yeah. And um, she got a call off Alice, so she went into another room to talk to him. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I just heard this scream, this crying, like mm. this in pain. I'm like, I'll, I didn't even say I'll be right back. I yeah. just took my headset off, ran in there, and went, what's up? Mm. And they and she turned around, she went, Paul's dead. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean Paul's dead? And turned around and said, Paul's killed himself. Paul's committed suicide. Mm. And... As horrible as as hard it was to believe, it was also entirely believable because of what he's going, yeah. what he was going through. He was the kind of guy that he wanted to work. He couldn't ever have nothing to do. He yeah. needed something to do. And his job, he used to work. He used to work um, for Santander, more, um, but not as the banker. He was contact center. Contact center. Okay. And anyone who's worked in contact center knows that those jobs most of the time are soul destroying. <laughs> They're so. But it's not most of the time when you say it's soul destroying. It's mostly because of the way the customers treat you when yeah, you're on the phone. Like not all I, customers. I've had customers yeah. on the phone that's wished cancel upon me and my future children because I couldn't give them what they wanted, and yeah. it's not nice to be in that environment when people are treating people like that. Like I've been told that I deserve to die and go kill myself in that type of job and everything. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's horrible. Hard. Like the way people treat customer service representatives when all they're trying to do is stick to rules and regulations and do their job. It, it, it is hard and because he, he took a week off or two weeks off mm-hmm. to, you know, calm yourself down to collect himself because people may think, oh yeah, but it's just people saying that with whom we can't say anything. But with people with issues such as what Paul had, on the outside, it'll just about, it'll look like it bounced straight off of him, but they it will have slowly eaten him. There, were, ta- there were times when he spoke to like, that he was at Dove and he'd be like with There'll be uh, me, Alice, you and Richard for a couple of weeks. And he's like, I remember him saying to me, like, I need to go back to work because I can't have anything to do. But I don't want to at the same time. And I said to him, have you ever thought about looking for a new job while you're off sick? And he's like, well, it's a bit too late now because I've got to go back soon. Mm. And I remember the last thing I actually did say to him was, it was the Friday before it happened. And I hugged him and I said, I love him, but I've got to obviously go home. Mm. But I just remember that's what he said to me that night was basically like, I need to go back to work because I can't have all to do, but I don't want to. He, um, not long after we found out, yeah. we, a couple of um, the close friends of his got together at the pub he always went to, the Dublin Rainbow. Yeah. And um, his, one of his, possibly his best friend mm. was there, a young man called Tesh. Mm. And I started talking to him and he was what like one of the first people to find out yeah and i had i needed closure knowing how 
he went. And I found out. Okay. And if anything, as harsh as it sounds, there are certain ways you want to hear, you would rather, you know, like everyone says, oh, I'd rather go this way or something. You don't like want that. to think of them in pain. I don't want to think of them in pain. And if anything, it kind of gave me a bit of a relief when I found out how. Okay. Obviously, not really, not no, saying I'm happy he's gone because it obviously it still kills me to this day. But completely understand. Knowing how he went, it made it easier. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like eating away at me, like how did he go? How did he do this? How did yeah. he do that? What did he do? It gave me a little bit of closure. Um, I don't really want to go into it. That's fine. Because uh, I don't fine. think it'd make anyone here no. feel very comfortable at all. Not the people listening either. No. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely fine. Um, but we had his funeral two days ago. Yeah. And his mum and sister and aunt and family were the most welcoming, loving people. Like they came up and they hugged us and thanked us for being there. Like the flowers you see right now are from his funeral, so it's like we've got a part of him here and It was um they were so loving. They were so such nice people and they were yeah really talkative and well they welcomed us with like all friends with open arms because there's been a lot of times that i know with my friend with friends and stuff like that who have friends that are part of an alternative community they get looked down and judged on as you know as us being alternatives ourselves well it's one of those it's already a bad situation you don't want to make it into hell yeah and they take kind of look at people like us and think like like basically like that we've been dragged up from hell and stuff like that but no instead of judging us they just welcomed us with open arms and i cannot thank him enough for that because it was a beautiful ceremony yeah it really were and um paul's sister found out that i am wanted to do something for paul yeah and um what it was is I couldn't do it on my own, so I went to a very close friend of mine called James McGuinness, mm. um, who is now actually working with me in that. Okay. In a He's the drummer for band. the Bal. Yeah. Who is also, he is also the drummer for the band Bal. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to him and I wanted his help. I said, mm. I want to do something for Paul. Because mm. he worked very closely with the um, company Mind. Okay. He worked very closely with them. And I know they do good work. Yeah, they do. And um, I thought, well, I want to do something Paul. I want to do Paul first. Mm. So I've decided that sometime later, towards the end of this year, mm. I want to do something called Paul Fest, where it is... I don't want any money from it. No. I'm literally doing it all for mind and for the memory of Paul and for the, and for the memory of other people who have passed um, similar situations to him or very different but feel like they're in the same circle as him. Yeah. Then you've also got the people who are still alive to this day, still trying to hold on that might help them yeah. fall. And it's going to be for music playing there. There's going to be obviously buying drinks at the pub or something like that. Mm. It's going to be happening at the Dublin Rainbow, which is basically there, a second home. If you're going to be there for Paul, you're going to make sure you have a shot of Red Stag. Yeah, that was his favourite yeah. shot. Yeah, I love that drink. <laughs> it was his, his favourite shot. I remember his memorial. There is a picture of him behind the bar, actually, and everyone just buys drinks from him. Yeah, I remember for his memorial drinks, we just found out, and somebody gave me, like, a shot of Red Stag, and I just turned around and went, F you, Paul, love you, then <laughs> shot it, because I don't like it. It makes me feel sick, like... Every time me, Alice and Paul would be at end at bar having shots, then two would have red stag and I'd always have a fireball on me. <laughs> but when people, like, but for that it was like, I've had a couple of red stags and I think I just get laughed at because I'm there just like, oh, this is nasty. <laughs> I think, 
I like when you've picked it as well. Yeah. You've picked a time at the end of the year when you know things are going to be bad for a lot of people. I wanted to do it towards the end of the year because of that, and also I wanted everything to calm down. I didn't want to do it straight after oh, no, the funeral. Honestly, if not, I wanted everyone to calm down, collect themselves. Most people would still pick somewhere where you could be, you know. Ugh. Yeah. But you've chose to pick a time when you know people will be struggling. It's, so it's a place for them got to the high, Out of any time in the year, in the winter is the highest suicide count. And plus with Dove and Rainbow, it's like, because most of the time the community, the Dove is always outside in smoking area where there's a bit of heat or indoors, so it'd be like, yeah. you know, it'll be warm anyway, everyone will be fine. There'll be a lot, of, a lot of regulars there, so <laughs> lovely community. I think, going back to, because um, Paul helped a lot of people. Yeah. And like I said, he didn't really help himself much. He helped others. Quite a common theme. It is. And I think one of the main things I'm going to miss about him as selfish as this sounds, is how he helped me. How did he help you? Is, um... We always used to play games of pool. Yeah. And, um... I used to think myself good at pool. <laughs> until I went up against Paul. Oh my god, he was good. He was a very, very good pool player. In fact, he seven-balled me a, a, quite a lot of the time. <laughs> and, uh, but... Of course he'd be cocky about because it. Because I'd go up to him and say... I'd sit down with him and he'd just turn around and go, I know you're not. Something's wrong. Talk to me. Yeah. I talked to him, and it could be about anything, yeah. like or it could just even be like I feel like I've got this mist in my head or this fog where I can't see th my thoughts clearly, or I feel like it's weighing down on me, and there'd be no reason for it. Yeah. And he'd be like, I understand. Mm. Come with me, and he'd take me to the pool table. We'll have a couple of games. We'd have a laugh. He'd cheer me up, and then he'd talk about it, which obviously mm. would, because talking about it sometimes can bring you back down again, because yeah. it's kind of like, oh, I've got away from it. Oh, now he's bringing me back. Yeah. And then he'd, like I said, give me a good time, and then he'd talk about it from his experiences, how his experience may be able to help, and yeah. I'd tell him about mine, and mine might be able to help him, like yeah. swapping information, experiences, yeah. and I always felt like he was able just to pluck the bad out of me, yeah. like the, the, the stuff I was feeling, he'd be able to pluck it out of me, and but he'd be like a stress ball, he'd treat mm. himself like a stress ball, where he'd take everybody else's stress, mm. and it, it worked, but obviously in the end, it forgot to got the go. better of it. Yeah. But then after he helped me out, we'd go back again having a laugh. Mm. Kind of like at work when you're getting a meeting with your boss called mm. a, uh, sorry for language, but called a shit sandwich, where they, yeah. where they give you <laughs> pros, then they give you something to be better on, then they give you a pro again. Knew. It's That's how he kind of worked. Like, and it, it worked brilliantly. And that's what I'm going to miss of him most. Yeah, he knew how to help you, like, because he knew, knew you so well. Like, if anything happened, like, with me and Alice, like, I remember... He helped my best mate Alice when her dad passed away, like started this year. He helped her for all that, like he helped me through my dark time started this year. But the one that sticks out to me is when my mum's husband Colin was in hospital mm. and because of how when he got attacked how bad it were, he was in a coma, we didn't know if we were gonna live or die. Mm. And I remember just sat end at bar and I was worried, I was crying on his shoulder and when he hugged me it just felt warm and comforting and he talked to me and if like anything happened and me and Alice were there and were upset, it'd be like, I remember she used to call him a, like his sugar, sugar daddy, but it'd be like, that was his yeah. nickname. And it's like, are we going to do like to cheer his all up? I was like, are we going to do some shots? And I'll be there at the end of bar going, shots, 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 shots. <laughs> and so basically like he had pull with him. We'd, we'd have shots together. Mm. So he'd have shots with Alice and stuff like that. Cause he was always out on a weekend or whatever he can, he'd go to the Dove. It was his home away from home. Mm. 
and he'd always there to cheer Alice up or whenever I went in, he was always there at Ender Bar, me and him would sit at Ender Bar and he'd have a hug, he'd talk to me, cry, let me cry on his shoulder, then he'll buy me a drink, then he'd buy me shots. Because mm. the new shots is, it, it cheered me up because I'd be having a good time with friends and stuff like that and me and Alice have got this habit when we're drunk, we kind of turn into woo girls. Okay. So that always made him laugh as well. If, if you don't know what a woo girl is, it's when every, anything good happens, woo! Yeah, yeah, when you get shot and you just scream, woo! That's, that's why I always end up going to the other end of the box. I leave with a headache. <laughs> so, like, uh, yeah, calls me and Alice my and green. <laughs> so, it, obviously, Paul had a massive effect on both of your lives. Oh, yeah. He did on all together, of ours as together well. and separately. Yeah. Um, if you could take three say, life lessons from his life, what would they be? Well, one thing is... Get better at <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, get better at No, um, he, um, three lessons. Oh, I definitely have to pick that I loved his ethics on the idea of you can't be happy unless you help others as well. Service to others. But obviously you need to be able to help yourself. Yeah, I, the I, second I... lesson I'd take would most definitely be don't be as stubborn as Paul. Because <laughs> it is also his stubbornness that regrettably got him where because he wouldn't accept help. Yeah. Although he did go for it, Mm. Any of his friends tried to give him help. It take was, on it his wasn't. sarcastic charm. <laughs> yeah, he had a he had a charm, but but yeah, my second lesson I take from him is don't be as stubborn as he was, because mm. can now see where that gets you. Yeah. And um, just also just even if you're feeling down or anything, just have a smile because. It is even proven that even a smile can actually, although it doesn't feel like it does much at all, it does affect you slightly. And if people around you see you with a smile on your face, it'll make them smile. And you seeing them smile will make you slightly happy because you know that you've just made them yeah, smile. I think what I've learned from him as well, like obviously I am very empathetic and compassionate to people like him and people that I know and the close mm. to me, but I think mine is to show more compassion and empathy towards people even if I don't know them. Instead of just coming across as something that, like, I don't know, when I don't know someone, I, I just like, yeah, I don't care, I don't want to know, like, think of me as a heartless bitch, but I think that's just me trying to cover up and push people away before they get close to me. Yeah. And I think I just... Like a defence mechanism. Yeah, I just, I think it's kind of shown me that I want to be, for his sake and for myself and everyone else, to help someone not, like, if I can help someone from doing this again or like that... I want to show more compassion and more empathy if I don't know you or anything like that. But obviously, the reason I got a defence mechanism is because quite a lot of times in my life I got called out, uh, basically got accused of being a doormat. I take on other people's problems instead of dealing with my own. Yeah. So basically, exactly, that's how me and Paul could relate in a way because I've been the same when it comes to people. Like, if something happens for example to Ian or my best friend or mm. a family member or my um, or like Helen and John who are like the people at Royal Standard who are practically my family as well mm. yeah I drop everything that I feel or how I feel and I'll drop everything for them and just help them instead of myself yeah so that's another thing that I take is basically I'm gonna make sure that I help myself as well as help other people that's the hardest thing because when you have to help yourself it also means you have to face yourself yes and, and I think I need to learn how to do that because I know that's all he ever wanted from me it's just for me to help myself and face myself but I just I 
He never knew how to, really. You were saying about self-worth earlier. What What's one thing that you do that gives you just that little bit of self-worth? I don't know anymore. Something Is there a, something that you enjoy? Something that puts a smile on your face? Helping you. <laughs> to be honest, I've been, I, again, obviously you can't see this as a podcast, but you have. Every time you've, you've spoken, you've smiled. The biggest grin in the world. <laughs> my cats as well. Gives me self-worth. My babies. My little fair babies. But... My sister Helen has always said, and like Paul's even always loved cats and stuff like that, and he agreed with her when I told him this. But she's always says there's one thing that you need in your life is a pet. Because mm. by the end of the day, even. They're an antidepressant. She oh, went, yeah. they're an instant Agreed, antidepressant. Yeah. And she always said to me, if you get a cat or a dog or both, you would always be a lot better off than you are now because obviously Helen knew me years before Ian and stuff like mm. that. And, we met at River Island and she was my manager but we became really close friends because we helped each other through a really bad time when we first met and mm. stuff like that and we got really close and she practically became family so I'm her little sister mm. and she's my big sister that I've met like yeah. my older sister that I never had at that point yeah. and stuff and she just turned around and says get a pet because pets do help. I think what definitely does help with pets as well is, as weird as it sounds, sometimes I feel like pets are better company than human company sometimes. Because they can read emotions better than humans can. Yeah. They know when something's wrong, especially when they live with oh, you and they're God, with you all the time. Again. Like our like our cats, Luna and Ninja. They just know when something's wrong and yeah. they will constantly come around you, cuddle you. It's like whenever I've seen dogs with their owners as well it's you know the same what? the main thing is, is they listen they do they listen and they don't have a bad word to say about it which is nice <laughs> they listen and they're non-judgmental so there's a couple of tips there is and just like just stroking them playing with them knowing that these are never going to leave you these are things that are going to love you unconditionally yeah and knowing that that because obviously Compared to other thick creatures in the world, humans can be very fickle. Yeah. Pets and animals are not like that. Once they love someone, love them unconditionally. Yeah. They're there for life. And that's what's loving. Knowing that... Because I know that nothing really is ever constant. Mm. But I know that the love from a pet is constant. And it's always comforting to know that there is at least something that is a constant. Well, you can tell how much we love our cats because mm -hmm. as soon as you walk into that flat in the hallway, there's pictures of them. We have a competition of who can get the best picture of the cat, and that goes <laughs> up on the wall. Yeah, we've got two pictures. I've got, I've got like in, in the, the hallway. hallway. Oh, I've okay. got Polaroids of them, and I've got like crazy cat lady mugs and stuff like that since I've had them. And I think something that when they come to ours that they do appreciate is that on our wall, as you can see. Just there, there is a lot of Polaroids on the wall. And there is a lot in the bedroom as well. Yeah. But the ones on the left side mm. are the people that we consider our family. And there are actual family members in there, but there are also people that aren't blood related yeah. that we see as family. Because we're one of those couples that we do not believe in blood is thicker than water. Um, we believe that, that you build your family. Mm -hmm. And what we do every Christmas, mm. we hang them on the tree. Oh, that's lovely. And they're going to go with my Deadpool baubles. And we got Because she's <laughs> obviously obsessed with Deadpool. But... We clear out that corner, mm. we put the Christmas tree up, 
and we hang our Polaroids up. So we const every time we look at the Christmas tree, because some people look at the Christmas tree and, like I said, it's a very depressing time yeah. of the year. But when we look at the Christmas tree, not we it, we battle it by looking at the photos and going, see, that's us there, happy, with people that will do everything for us and we'll do everything for them. There's your and worth. And it's so nice. There's your worth. Because if these people love you, when when you look at them, they, you, you worthy them. So if you worthy them, they worthy you. So there's there's a little bit of self worth because if there if there wasn't anything too worthy, they wouldn't love and care for you as much as they do. So there's and it it's it's something that I'm with you on the whole family is friends like Zoe to me is my sister. Um, Zoe is one we had on podcast a few few weeks ago. Um, and she's like my sister. So, to me, I completely understand yeah, that. my friends are my family. But I know... I don't get all my self-worth just from just from Zoe. Sorry if you're listening to this. She's going to be hissing at you. You're going to have an angry phone call later. But there's a little bit of worth within me from her because she yeah. values me so much. Yeah. So if you're... If you, I would say, if you're ever looking for just a start, look into the people that love you's eyes. If you trust them and give you, you give them worth. Look at the way they look at you, because if they look at you with such love, worth, and caring, there's something in you to be loved, worthed, and caring. Mm. So, and I mean, you can do it just by looking at Ian. You can see the, the worthiness within. And if you weren't that worthy, there's no way he would have become your carer and been with you and supported you and loved you and vice versa back. One thing I do want to bring up, and it's mostly for anyone that is really listening who is a carer, what I've come across a lot mm-hmm. is you're doing it just because you don't want to go to work. You're doing it because you're lazy. I've had that so many times. I'll raise my hand to that because I'm a carer too. And when she's happy and they see her happy and she's joyful, they turn around and go, oh, that means you can go back to work. Well, what makes you think, as as harsh as this is going to sound, what makes you think what I'm doing isn't work? Mm. It is a job. I get paid crappy for it, but I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it to make sure that she is here. Mm. And... It hurts to know that carers, in that sense, aren't respected. No, they're not. I'm not saying that just for me, because I've seen it from other carers as well. Yeah. They get treated like a piece of crap on the floor. It's like, oh, you're just there just to help them, and then that's it. And then, like, I've had people, like I said, come up to say, oh, you're just lazy, you just don't want to work, she's fine. It's like, no. I find it is a harder one, especially, say, when you're the partner, or you're their parent, or you're their child, because... Within that, it's a certain amount of expectant. You're supposed to do this. Yeah. This is, but there's a lot more into it when you become a carer. I mean, as I said, my son's autistic, and I, I am his carer. And it's like, well, you're his mum. What, what are you doing? What are you complaining about? You're supposed to do this. It's like, well, yes, there's that as well. But do you know what it takes to know that I took four days out for myself and had no idea what how much my life evolved around times that had to be done, triggered, so I was like, 
when you can do something that you know is a trigger for somebody, because everybody has triggers, you know you've had to avoid something because it's a trigger. When you don't do that, you realise it, but you then you miss it because you know you're doing it out of pure love. Yeah. I know it's the same as my mum when she raised me because obviously she had to raise two kids, but with me, with my autism, I'm obviously quite severe when I was little and mm -hmm. stuff like that. She had to put extra time and he uh, even more time and effort to look after me and she's probably, she's never said it to me, but I can imagine she's had the same thing. But I remember when she told me that she went into my high school and I'm in year seven with my nurse from the Rygate Centre and says, look, you need to stop putting my daughter in anger management. She needs help because she's autistic. And they turned around to her and went, well, she doesn't look autistic. Mm. And because obviously I'm a female and back then it was more known for boys to have autism back mm. then, you got next to no help. Yeah. So I just, they were like, oh, we'll just put her in anger management. But my mum had to deal with the same stigma as well with caring for me and up until she moved to Wakefield and stuff like that. And can imagine it's a lot of pressure and it's a lot for a carer because I've seen it with my mum with me, I've seen it with Ian and I've seen my friends be carers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is a lot of pressure and people need to be more compassionate and understanding because what they don't realise is the pressure they put on you is what's making that making you worse not only that but i if the care is the support system and the support system is stressed imagine how the other person is feeling not only that but there's a certain amount of and i've heard this from a lot of people guilt because they're feeling bad that their carer has to go through this to begin with yeah it took it literally it took him ages for me to agree to be my carer because the only time I've ever had person like a carer like that is my mum when I was a kid, but she still worked full time and stuff like that. She still worked hard to keep a roof over our head mm. and stuff like that. But it, it it was hard because like nobody's ever done that for me before. Like I've had partners take a day off and stuff like that when I've been bad to mm. look after me and stuff. Yeah. But and it is a lot of guilt because you don't want to take that independence away from someone and it does destroy you and. I think what's the pressure cripples you because like I've had it heard so many times when it's you do know eventually you will have to go back to work. Mm. I'm like I know that, but the pressure you're putting on me cripples me from even and pushes it even further away. And it's like you're saying that you need to be harsh to help, but sometimes being harsh and giving tough love is not helpful. It makes someone worse. Because yeah. when you say that to me, I go home and doubt myself and I start hating myself and I just think how pathetic I am because. I don't have like a nine to five job at the moment because I can't hold a job down because of my severe mental health and because every day my head's a struggle. Like I'm constantly going from being happy to suicidal within seconds and I have fits, I have blackouts and stuff like that and I'm not being funny but I need to like I went five years when I was working I went five years without a blackout or a fit and I was ready to be able to save up to drive and stuff like that and when I had one is what my first one was like 2016 April first one in five years and I was decorating the house with my old housemates when I lived in Crooks and I just fell off the ladder passed out on the floor and just started jittering yeah and as they tried to pick me up into bed I fell down the stairs and did it again and I came out black and blue mm. and from what the doctors have said to me is with the severe trauma and stress that I've been through since I was a child, that's why it's the trauma that has caused me to have these fits and blackouts because 
yes, I had epilepsy until I was 12 years old. Mm. And when I, when I lived in Leeds, it was quite lonely. I couldn't have friends because the neighbours were too scared that they'd catch epilepsy. But this is the nicely. But this is the nineties <laughs> for you. What do you expect? People yeah. didn't really know much back yeah, then. That's true. But it weren't really a safe environment either because where I used to live, I couldn't leave the garden either because it wasn't safe around there either. So, and the stress and trauma I went through as a kid, I um, ended up with being diagnosed at seventeen with something called non-epileptic seizures. Okay. And there's been times where I've been on the phone to a customer at my old work where I've blacked out they've been yelling or talking to me and I've had no clue what's mm. been happening the whole time yeah and but it there's been this the reason there's millions of times where he has to stop me from crossing the road because I'm that like really close to being run over by a car because sometimes when I black out as well I'm still walking along it's and like stuff autopilot it's yeah, like it's auto functioning. yeah still functioning and he's had to drag me away and i've had no idea what's happened except for there's a bus or a car coming past mm. and it's is he's found me nearly drowning in a bath because i've been blacked out and i've had a fit in the bath and stuff like mm. that and it's literally just gone to just above my nose here yeah. where i've fallen in the bath and he's had to pick me up and yeah. I've had no clue what's happening. The issue is as well with the blackouts as well is the one who suffers with the blackouts doesn't realise after they've had the blackout that they had a blackout. Yeah. They just know that they, they go, what, 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 what's up? And then you explain like in disbelief. Like, mm. no I didn't. Your head like, starts yes. going fuzzy, you panic, you have anxiety attacks, you start freaking out because you don't understand, you don't remember it. Mm. It is, it is difficult. Yeah. And it's difficult for the one caring, it's difficult for the one being cared. Some of them my mum always said to me, after I became Haley's full-time carer was, and this is to any carer who is listening, is take time for yourself as well because yeah. you are in, you can be in as much mental anguish as the person that you are caring for simply just because of your line of work. Yeah. Just have a day off. Like, when he does band practice with Nat on the Monday, I don't go with him because in my head I believe he needs that space. Yeah. But like people turn around and like, oh, you're in each other's pocket, and it makes me and Ian feel horrible that people actually think we're like that or we're joint at the hip, and yeah, people are having jokes about it. But it's like he is my full time carer, he's doing a job, and he does want to be with me. But he does, we do have time to ourselves. I I, I want to know why is being joint at the hip so so bad. I mean, I get it. I you don't understand. Know I you understand that there's a personal space because you do yeah. do your own. People have got well. this idea that we don't get our own space, which we do. Because Ian goes to band practice every week. I I always do my own thing. The next he'll go to his friend's pizza. I don't go with him. Or I'll like there's couple. will be once or twice a week as well. I'll go and see my friend Alice, or I'll go and see a friend of summer and. There is a couple of times a week we're not together all the time and we do things separately. Like, he'll go, like, the first Shonen gig. Yeah. I went to the Standard and he went there and stuff like and that. And that's so, when I first met you. Yeah. And that's what I mean, like, we don't always do everything together. It's the concept of joined at the hip always used to... It always used to bug me because... I... I see people that are together all the time yeah. and... The concept of joined at the hip, I mean, they, it's seems such a lazy term to just say, oh, they're together all the time. Yeah. Well, but that, and not only that, but if a com if a couple are comfortable or people comfortable enough to be around that person that they love and trust and and support on each other, what's wrong with being around? I don't. That person? I, I, I completely yeah. agree with you. I don't think there's a wrong. I mean, like we said, me and Haley are not around each other 
24, we live with each other, I'm with her most of the time. Yes. Yeah. Like, but we he, do have space, but... He does get days off. Exactly, but... A couple that's joined in the hip is basically best mates. Yeah. You can't... If you're in a relationship, you're basically with your best friend. Yeah. That's your best friend. And even if you're not in a relationship, you, I've seen it where, like, um, you've got two people that are just best friends. and They're not in a relationship, they're just best friends. Yeah. And they're with each other 24-7. But they... So no, what's no, the difference? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because he is my best friend. Yeah. And that's why we're together quite a lot, because we love spending time together. And yes, we do get our space, and people are like, oh, he's like, uh, your umbilical cord not here. It's like, well, even if he is, and we do get time, but it's, at the same time, I love being around him. He makes me laugh. He makes me smile. I enjoy myself around him. And it's like when I'm around Alice, I'm the same, because she's my best friend. Yeah. It's like when we go out, if we're at the standard at the door or something like that. There'll be times where we'll sit together, we'll talk, we'll laugh and with others. And then there'll be times where I'll get up and rosy off and go and talk to another For set about of people. two hours, I'll be... And then I'll yeah. come back and but stuff like that. So a, even though we're in the same place, we can together. still... You have a healthy understanding of what each other needs from each other. Yeah. You need space, even if you're in the same building. Exactly. Well, it's like after Paul's work at the door, he went to McDonald's with our friend Kimmy and... If I do feel lost and lonely and need a hug, I'll go looking for him and I'll hug it. Then I'll get what I want and then basically we'll just go and do our own thing again. Hmm. <laughs> so as the thing is, is understanding that I think if you've got a healthy balance that works, and it obviously does, otherwise you wouldn't be here two years later. It's so, a healthy relationship and I don't see why people have to say stuff to doubt it. Really. I think I don't... I'm not angry at the people that don't understand it, same as I'm not angry at the people that don't understand mental illnesses. If anything, I'm more sorry for them, because they are the ones that missed out on the education and weren't informed of what it actually is. Mm. The people that people often get angry at because they don't understand something, you shouldn't be angry at them. If anything, you should teach them. Being angry teach is not going to teach yeah, anyone anything. Yeah, teach them. It's like, it's like the same with the whole like men's mental health as well, with the whole Man Up campaign. Oh, yeah. Uh, like I think it's great that we because ne- we need to teach people that men are allowed emotions too and mm. they're allowed to stand up and cry and open up about things because it doesn't make you feel less manly. No. And it, it, there's been there, there actually has been uh, been testers like there's actually more men that actually do commit suicide than yeah, women. Yeah. The the statistics at the moment is it's three times likelier for a man to, and I hate to say this, but succeed in suicide than than women it's because for some reason when it comes to men they're not taking that serious because like she said it's like you get a load of people that go oh man up or or do this so i don't know why emotion (laughs) for some reason has been like separated into your sexes like oh women are the emotional time men have to be the strong stoic type no 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 every human is born with emotion just accept them there is a lot of theories behind that and i could go well into sociology for it but there's not enough time in the day for that one um, I have to. I do have to uh, round this up. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna say, I really do appreciate this. Um, and for listeners, like hey, this was, I could tell very much how stressing this was for Haley to do. And I have no idea. How, you have no idea how appreciative and grateful I am for you doing this, because it's not easy. And. I've sat and watched you with your body language, you're very much picking <laughs> and, and shifting, and I can tell how much it's got you, but you have no idea how grateful I am for you to do this, and just one person out there that you've helped, 
somebody who understands what you're going through and you know what will know that they're not alone just by you simply telling your story mm -hmm. as well as you Ian knowing that men out there are speaking more about it. if we literally just said knowing that men are speaking about it hearing another man talk about it you you've talked about it from aspects of of what you've had to go through growing up as a, man, a man's perspective a carer's perspective going through something so traumatic as losing somebody so close to you and it's still being so raw and you're still managing and you know what you're you've still got yourself awareness about you you are still being even if you do feel weak you are still being very very strong and the fact is you said it's second it's it's two days in like and you're, you're sober now the fact that you're taking that step to do that is a massive step to some people it's small but to you and anybody else who would know you would know that's a massive step to take that self-awareness upon yourself you've shown that in that little step big step to you but little step that's showing that you have and the start of self-worthiness because it, you're giving yourself a starting point you are worth it. You, it you may not feel like it today but you are worth it you are worth that step Ian obviously saw it from day one you are worth it and you are supported by these people that love and care for you and I, I honestly like it's taken my breath back of some of the stuff that you've been through but still had the strength to carry on not many people can say they've survived the amount of suicide attempts that you've done and you're still here and we're all happy and celebrating that you are you have survived more than uh, more than what most people have in like several lifetimes you've got an inner strength that obviously doesn't want to quit yet even though it, you've, you've been on the very edge you, there's something I finally have people that are worth living for even if it's the family at the dove or my, my own family or the people at the standard and stuff like that, the royal standard, I've, like, I've got to this age where I've kept the people that are worth living for. And if you ever get lost, my advice to you would be look them dead yeah. in the eyes. And just a reminder for any like family member or friend right now that I love, I love you guys <laughs> while you're listening. I do. I might not talk much and I might be quiet at times and I'm not I'm a pain in ass for keeping in contact, but I do love you guys and you are worth living for. So are you. <laughs> you are. You really are. So I'm gonna I always end with a, a free free thing takeaway. So if you're gonna from from your whole I'm gonna do free from each to be fair. Okay. There's, so first, there was three things that you could, somebody's listening out there who is going through the exact same experience but hasn't spoken to anybody about it, what would your first three, what would your three like, tips be for them? As hard as it is, just ask for help. Because I know how hard it is and I even said to Ian yesterday, I'm lost and I need help and I would start looking at my phone trying to ask for help and I couldn't do it, I know how hard it is but just push through it because somebody that out there does love you and you're not alone and last thing I want is for you to feel alone and that goes into my second point if you ever feel alone just 
even if it's a community online community or it's a community surrounded by or anything like that there is something out there even if you play games or read a book there is something out there even if it's not a person that can not make you feel alone yeah and my thir third one is oh god this is hard it's hard to give advice when like <laughs> um it's okay to cry guys even if you're a man or a woman it's okay to cry and have emotions and feel the people that understand and love you will be there for you they will be you're allowed to cry don't feel ashamed about it don't like to, what i've always done is feel ashamed about crying and i've never liked crying in front of people but it is okay it's okay to have emotions and feel the way you are feeling just remember that I think um, for me, first advice is just admit something is wrong. Mm. Although it may feel normal to you, yeah. you need to know when you're not feeling how somebody should. Yeah. If you're not feeling love, if you're not feeling like you belong or anything like that, that means something is wrong. Admitting to yourself is always the first step. Yeah. That would be the first advice. Just admit you need help. Yeah. Second step would be what Haley's first step was. Ask for it. Mm. But, and the third one is, literally, you're going to have to persevere for it because it is sometimes a very slow process. If you go through friends, if you go through an actual system or anything like that, any, even if it's a good system or a bad system, yeah. it, it's going to take a long time. You're not going to feel amazing in, like, a week. It's going to take... Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it even takes a lifetime. But, and I know it's easier to always concentrate on the negative because they always seem bigger. But just try your hardest to always concentrate on the positive because I know suffering is a natural part of life. But there are ways around it. Yes, some suffering is easier to get over than others. But all suffering can pass. All suffering can pass. I always say to people, write a list, even if it's a list of good things about you each day or a list of things on what you can do to get better, keep ticking it off so you can see the positivity and you can see that whatever it is, is working so you've got that reminder in front of your face. One thing I learnt, is something I do every morning, is something like you're practising gratitude in the sense of you wake up and just be thankful for one thing. And be thank and then do the same again before you go to bed. Even if it's just something like it's something as simple as I'm laying in a bed. Because not everyone has a bed to lay in. Just be gra grateful you got a bed, grateful that you got running water, grateful you got a roof, grateful that you got friends, family, grateful that you're alive, even if you don't want to be. Even if you have a takeaway that night, just be just be thankful that you've had that <laughs> gorgeous pizza. But yeah. Practicing gratitude doesn't have to be something that has to be done 24-7. It can take two seconds in the morning and two seconds at night. Well, you've actually... I was going to start with that one for my takeaway, is gratitude. There is a, a theory that you cannot feel... When you're in a state of gratitude, it blocks out um, bad feelings or negative feelings. And it literally... Because you're so... So in that moment of gratitude, like you say, it's something as simple as laying in a bed. Something as simple as, 
I got home to watch my favourite programme without having to record it. Like, I am, I'm grateful that, uh, I think one of my favourite ones is I got my pillows just right in bed so my head feels like it's getting a cuddle. <laughs> Mine's, um, I've got a list next to me where it's a list of things I promise Ian that I'll do for him every single day. And you I, like help herself. Yeah, yeah. My, my gratitude is I wake up in the morning, I get to see that, and it reminds me every single day. And as soppy as it going. sounds, one gratitude I always do wake up, I always wake up is I've just woke up to someone I want to spend the rest of my life with. Aww. That's something always nice, and I always get to go to bed knowing that as a gratitude as well. I get to go to sleep, holding on, or even knowing that this person just feeling their warmth next to me, that I get to wake up to this person the next day. Aww. Even if you don't have that. There's certain th- there's everything you can feel. <laughs> there's loads of things you can feel gratitude for. As, yeah, I agree. Um, my my second one, and it's it running theme for all of all the subjects we've talked about, is just stop to realize: Are you actually listening to that person? Are you truly listening to what they're saying? Are you paying attention to the way their body movements are? Because you don't just listen with your ears, you listen with your eyes. Are you looking at them? Are you truly paying attention to every second? Because, for one, you never know how long you're going to get with that person. And two, their body might be saying something completely different to their words. And sometimes you have to pay attention, not just to the words they say, how they say it and how they look at you. And all of that takes genuine listening. And it, it's 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 rare when you find people that do do that. That's your support system, which was followed by a lovely smile by these two two. Because you said <laughs> ding ding. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. I was smiling at you in compassion. You're smiling at me because she said do do. Hey, well. I feel betrayed. <laughs> I think my third and final one is. All we've done gratitude, we've done listening. I think it's try your best to understand every side. The problem with, with a stigma or judgment or whatever is the lack of compassion and empathy for all sides. It's so easy to judge, it's so easy to be angry. I mean, I always find that even when I'm angry at somebody, I always go, like you saying earlier, what caused that person to do that? And then go, well, they must be in a really bad place if that's the way they're being. And try and set, understand all parts, because if it, it would be easy to just go, well, they're, they're pushing the stigma on me the way I shouldn't, shouldn't be. Well, fuck them. And nah. All you're doing is carrying that around with you, and most people carry enough fucking baggage with them as it is. Yeah. <laughs> Leave that baggage at the doorstep, you don't need it. So, do your best to understand all sides, because what you don't understand is, what you might possibly not understand at that moment of time is, when people come, it's not just you speaking, it's not just your thoughts, it's not what's just going on with you and your view of everything. There is another side to it. And somewhere down the middle is the truth. Because no matter what, everybody experienced one situation, everybody experiences it differently. So I would say do your best to try and understand all sides of it. 
and all of what's going on in any given situation. So you can have a little bit of empathy for the other side, compassion to the understanding of what's going on in everybody's life, and knowing that you've done your best to walk away with not taking on somebody else's anger, stress, and upset. I think as well, stop comparing because you can't compare what you've been through is worse than someone else's because you do not know what's going inside their head. The, 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 fear of it, the thing is, is com don't compare yourself to somebody's highlight reel, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Yes. Yeah. Don't like, it doesn't help when it's like, even if you know or don't know, it says, oh, I've been through worse than you. It's like, you don't know that because you don't know someone 100%. And well, not, uh, not only that, but every... Sorry, I didn't mean to... Remember. No, it's fine. Um, I think everybody is... It's one of those that everybody's going through shit. It's just personal to them. Yeah. And what could feel horrendous for one person is small to another, but yeah. what they're going through it, so they're going to yeah. feel like shit. Yeah. It's not... I think the way I put it is... Not as... Nice is the way you put it, but it's not a bigger dick competition. <laughs> it's not a competition. It's um, not like, oh, I went through the same thing, but I feel it worse than you or anything like that. It's like, all right, took your dick away, let's I, talk about I this. I actually follow, I, I have a t-shirt that says, well, I have several shirts that say, and it, don't, don't be a dickhead, that's all. It covers all, all discretions of, well... Dude, stop being a dickhead and take a step back and pay attention, um, listen, yeah. give a bit of compassion to the situation that's going on, and maybe you won't be a dickhead. Yeah, I think what some <laughs> people don't realise subconsciously is you're never too old to always learn something new. Yeah. Like the idea of teaching an old dog a new trick, you can. Hmm? I'm still teaching myself a lot of things, like learning I'm constantly reading and learning. That's something that you just do naturally. I think like the whole reason of living is to come, is just see at the end the best you can be. Yeah. One day, even if it's just a little bit, a little bit better each day. Exactly. So by the this coming to an end again, I want to give my thanks because it's been it's been emotional. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Thank you very much. And uh, if I'm just going to end it with, if you are feeling like life has no point. Please, please don't go silently into that night. Speak to somebody. And on that point, I'm going to say good day, good brew. If you like this episode and want to listen to more, I have over 60 episodes of A Cuppa With. And they go from me talking on my own about subjects and stories of my life to others. And some people I've spoken to have incredible, incredible stories. And that's what it's all about. Talking about people's stories over a cup of tea and having those open conversations. So, like I say, if you like, share, subscribe, rate, that's all appreciated. And thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this.